The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome to another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. I am the namesake. Thank you for joining us once again this week for Season 4, Episode 13 of the pod. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. You can download new episodes every Wednesday from SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Subscribe if you don't want to have to go through the process of going to hunt and find them yourselves, but they'll be there every Wednesday. I promise you I've never missed one, and when I have, I've posted on social media that will be missing or be late, and lo and behold, I've delivered every single time. Time. Like John Stockton, I'm the mailman, or Carl Malone, I'm the mailman. Which one was the mailman? They're both really good. I believe Carl Malone was the mailman. Let me Google this really quickly. Yes, Carl Malone was the mailman. Can confirm. We'll review last week's games in a moment. We'll also take a look at the top five of Class A in the Metro News Power Rankings. Those have fluctuated a little bit this year, and I'll give my thoughts on the current Class A top five. So will Tara Malone. He'll weigh in on the same thing, and we'll both chime in with our games of the week. And I will talk to you about my in-studio appearance last week on High School Game Night and why that show means a lot to me and why I felt compelled to let them know about that. First things first, let's take a look back at last week. Williamstown Crews passed Tyler Consolidator for their sixth straight win. Tyler was hot. Williamstown was hotter. They got two touchdowns in the last four minutes of the second quarter, and that allowed the Jackets to take a 28-7 halftime lead. We've talked about this a number of times. I know that's a big thing that Nathan Tanner talks about with Parkersburg South, and we talk about that on the South broadcast, and he mentions that in interviews. It's the Bill Belichick theory of the last six minutes of the second quarter and the first six minutes of the third quarter. That's when games are won and lost. So at high school, you want to shrink that to the last four and the first four of each one. This one's definitely won and lost in that area. With Williamstown getting those late scores in the second quarter, Big, big moral win for them to have a 21-point lead instead of a 7-point lead in the halftime locker room. So they took a 28-7 halftime lead. Tyler, give them credit. They hung around and made it a game in the second half. Two of Sean Winfrey's three rushing touchdowns came after the half, but it wasn't enough. Tyler consolidated played until the end. They didn't back down. They gained 315 yards against the Jackets. So again, not a moral victory there. You can say Williamstown's was a bit of a moral victory because, for one, they did go on to win the game, and you could say that was a large part of it, the fact that they built up a big halftime lead. I don't know that you'd say that what Tyler did was a moral victory, but at the same time, not to be overlooked the fact that they gained 315 yards on the Yellow Jackets. This game was one on the ground for Williamstown, and that's Maxwell Molesa with 21 carries, 220 yards, and two touchdowns, but Ricky Allen, four of his 18 carries went to the house. He scored four touchdowns, including on runs of 29 and 60 yards, 109 yards total for Ricky Allen, six rushing touchdowns, likely more of a testament to Williamstown's run game than it is on Tyler's run defense. For years, it seemed like the conversation about Tyler Consolidated is that they struggled on defense. I'm not sure that's the case this year as much as it's been in past years, and I don't think this is about that. I think this is just about a Williamstown team that runs the ball pretty well and ran the ball well against the Silver Knights, and give them credit too. Without Trevor Oates in that game, I'm hearing that injury is one that's going to be a few weeks, and they're not quite sure when they're going to get him back yet, or even if you'd want him to return right away. They have Fort Fry and Doddridge County in back-to-back weeks. Those aren't going to be easy games for him to 
to ease his way back into the lineup. I could see maybe by Doddridge County, but I certainly wouldn't try to get him back in for Fort Fry. That having been said, Melissa and Allen stepped up, and Williamstown goes to 6-1 and one with a big win over the Tyler Consolidated Silver Knights. They win six straight. St. Mary's rolled past Magnolia, essentially ending Magnolia's playoff hopes. They go to 1-5. and five. St. Mary's to 4-3 and three after back-to-back wins. First time this season St. Mary's has won back-to-back games, by the way. The Blue Devils picked up a 34-7 win on homecoming against Magnolia. They led 27-0 before Magnolia lit up the scoreboard. For the fourth time this year, the St. Mary's defense held a team below 10 points. Not shabby in seven games. Huge game for Josh Roush of St. Mary's. 27 carries. 259 ground yards and four touchdowns. I've not seen Josh Roush run in person. I saw him on TV. Roush isn't a guy that has the breaking speed in the open field and the elusiveness of a Jaden Smith. He's not one of those backs that's going to pop off the charts at you the way that Jaden Smith did. Ran low to the ground, made some moves that you just had to question how he was able to do it. So he's not like that. He's not a powerful runner like St. Mary's has had in the past. We didn't see a huge sample size of Trey Moss at St. Mary's. Moss was a little bit more in Roush's mold, although I think Moss might be just a shade faster, and he's certainly not the power runner of Brendan Boron, who we saw out of the backfield a lot as a quarterback, but he's just a steady, consistent runner. 27 carries, 259 yards, and four scores. He's getting it done, and he's getting results for this Blue Devils team, and they are glad to have him. Parkersburg South put up a frustrating effort in their 21-14 loss against Morgantown. The Patriots racked up 22 penalties for 160 yards. I did that game with my partner Bill Marshall over on V96 and it really felt like they were down in that game in a deeper hole than they were at any given time, despite the fact that at no time were the Patriots down by more than two scores. It was, at worst, a 14-0 or a 21-7 game, but it just really felt like Parkersburg South was getting no traction because of all the penalties and the penalty yardage. Robert Shockey ran for a score and threw for one for Parkersburg South. That's the good, but they just did not get out of their own way in that game. They were not able to overcome the 22 penalties. They created three takeaways, but they got zero points off turnovers. Other than the two in which they scored, they could not sustain offensive drives because of the penalties, and when you get nothing off three turnovers in a seven-point game, there's a good chance that's the difference right there. It's pretty easy to see where Parkersburg South could have been better in this one. And I think that's going to be the frustration for Nathan Tanner and the Parkersburg South Patriots. They're 3-0 and at home, 0-3 on the road, and at least two of those road games, looking at Parkersburg High and Morgantown, it was right there for them in both cases. And those are games that they probably could have had. I'm not saying they should have had them, but they were right there for the taking. You get those two back, you're going all of a sudden from 3-3, three and three, maybe 3-4, three and four, depending on what comes out of the Bridgeport situation from a few weeks ago. You're going from 3-3 three and three to 5-1 and one if you're able to get those games. That's how frustrating and that's how heartbreaking in a lot of ways this Parkersburg South team has been to watch and to follow, but I'm sure to be on as well. They're oh so close and they do so many things so well, but they have not been able to to finish and give you 100% of the job this year. They're kind of like when someone comes in to your kitchen and lays down a hardwood floor, but they forget the molding. And it looks nice until you look around the edges and see everything else that's out there and you see how it ties in with everything else. You're like, oh, okay, I see where there's a shortcoming now. 98% of the job is done with this team, but it's that other 2% that would allow them to tie things together. And it's just not there right now for Parkersburg South. And it's not an easy schedule they've got either because Parkersburg South's got Cabell Midland, then they go to Wheeling Park, and then they're back home against Princeton. And I'm sure that if at all possible, if they can find a way to wedge Bridgeport into the schedule, they'll do that. But that's not likely to happen at this point. So unless the SSAC steps in and declares that a no contest in 
and keeps that loss off the board, then you're looking at a Parkersburg South team that at best this year can win only six games and go to six and four. And if they stumble in one of these remaining three games, they go to five and five if that forfeit happens. Five and five may get them into the playoffs, but the teams they beat are not the teams that are going to give them a lot of points. So we talked about this on the broadcast Friday. This is one that they really needed to have for playoff positioning and for them to be that close, but still fall short. That might be a microcosm of the season in general. Monroe Central upset Frontier to send the Cougars to 5-2 with a 48-28 win. That could cost Frontier a home game as they were straddling 8-9, somewhere around in there, in their playoff positioning. This year in Ohio, 16 teams get into the playoffs per division as compared to 8 from previous years. So in past years, 8 was the line to get you in. Now it's the line to get you a home game. Tanner Bills had 3 touchdowns for 108 yards on the ground, but Frontier could not overcome 2 turnovers. River picked up a huge win. They go to 5-4 with a 35-6 win over Connaughton Valley, and what that does is it sets up a big game with Frontier this week. Frontier at 5-2, they had some COVID issues, so they lost 2 games that way, and then River at 5-4, but it's the regular season finale in Ohio. I would think of these two schools, River probably needs this just a little bit worse than Frontier. I don't think it benefits either of these schools to have to go on the road, so very likely a home game on the line when River takes on Frontier this week. Ritchie County rolled over Webster County 61 to nothing. They got five touchdowns from Gus Morrison. Second straight huge effort for Morrison. Two of those were on the ground. He had five carries in the game. That's it. Didn't need to touch it a whole lot. He had three touchdowns receiving out of four catches for 16 yards. So how about this? For Gus Morrison, he had nine total touches and five of them went to the end zone for 118 total yards. Five of Ethan Hot's 10 completions were touchdown passes. Found a couple different receivers in there. Richie rolled. They win 61 nothing, And so now they'll have a difficult game coming up next week as they play Gilmer County and a big win this week as they take on Ward County. But again, Ritchie County with a big 61 nothing win over Windless Webster, basically doing what they needed to do in that game. Bellsville defeated Payton City. The Wildcats fall to 2-5 and five after Bellsville comes away with a 40-14 win there. And then Cambridge defeated Marietta 49-13. So with that, combined with New Philadelphia's 31-7 win over Warren, all of a sudden Marietta and Warren going at it in Week 10 in Ohio. Those are two 3-6 and six teams that are going to finish likely out of the playoffs. They'll definitely finish below 500. So some pride on the line there and a lot on the line for two teams that really had some better expectations out of this season and had some higher hopes than what they'll be able to do. So there'll be some pride on the line and two teams that are looking to go to 4-6 and six when Warren takes on Marietta this week. That was one of the games that I had highlighted earlier this year as one of my games to watch for this week. Both of those teams have struggled down the stretch. So now 3-6 and six, looking to go to 4-6 and six at best. And I'm sure it might not be one with a lot of playoff implications, but it'll likely be a competitive one between Marietta and Warren. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Let's go between the hash marks, and this week I want to take a look at the Metro News Power Rankings. We don't talk about these a whole lot on the show, but the Metro News Power Rankings are voted upon weekly by a panel of radio broadcasters and sports writers in the state. I don't like to talk about this a whole lot because I don't want people coming after me for my vote or because of my vote, but I do have a vote in these power rankings. The rankings are basically people that have a finger on the pulse of high school football in West Virginia voting based on what they see, what they've heard, and what they know about these teams as far as what's there, why a team might be underperforming or overachieving, and what they're hearing from people on the ground. They're not polls that really follow the SSAC poll entirely, although lo and behold, by the end of a 10-game regular season, the SSAC poll really comes close to the Metro News power rankings. People look at those power rankings and look at the polls, especially when they release the polls.
polls in like week four or five when there's a very small sample size like, well, this team's not even in the top 10. About the SSAC playoff rankings, they do a good job to determine the playoff teams, but they work their best when you have a full 10-game season over 11 weeks. And that's why, in some cases, they were a little skewed last year. A team like Morgantown High School, for instance, was 3-3 three and three when the season ended because they didn't get as early a start as some other teams. But they were playing good football when the season ended, and given another week or two, they probably would have been a playoff team like they should have been. It works when everybody gets the same amount of games, and it works over 10 games. And so the power rankings are really a conversation piece more than anything else. But the reason I'm focusing on Class A, AAA, it's Martinsburg with a lock hold on that, and, and that's been that way for a long time. Even though Huntington, Campbell, Midland, Bridgeport, and University even really good. I'm hearing a lot of chatter about Jefferson. People think Jefferson might be as good as the second best team in the state. And then in AA, it's been a weird year in AA because AA is typically dominated by teams in the southern part of the state, and they've had some COVID issues there. So some of the teams that are traditional high in these rankings, not high there now. Mingo Central struggled last year. They've struggled a little bit this year, too, compared to where they've been the last five years prior. Bluefield has struggled to get on the field, so they're not in the power rankings this week. They're on the teams also receiving votes. But Herbert Hoover has been really dominant. Joey Field's ball club plays Mingo Central this week. They're 7-0 and getting a majority of the first-place votes in Class AA than they have for the last few weeks. Once things settled out in Class AA, Herbert Hoover, Polka, Independence, those are the teams that seem to be making hay right now in Class AA. But it's Class A that has been somewhat in flux this season. Wheeling Central always plays a tough schedule. They're 5-3 and three this year, and it seems like every one of those losses has moved some teams around. Williamstown has some votes. Doddridge County is up there this week. East Hardy is up there. But I want to look at it this week in particular for two reasons. One is what I already said. There's been a lot of fluctuation in that top five. But two, all five of the top five teams in this week's power rankings have a first place vote. It's not often you see a rankings like that where at least one person thinks everybody in that top five should be first. So there are at least five teams that have an opportunity or a claim at first place. Here are the power rankings as they sit right now. Doddridge County at 5-0 has first place, and they've got it by a good margin over Wheeling Central. Seven first place votes. Wheeling Central at 5-3 and three was ranked one last week. They moved down after their loss to St. Clairsville. Doddridge County moved up from third after defeating Ravenswood. So you got Doddridge County at one, Wheeling Central at two. And then here's a team that has not been in it at all this season. Moorefield knocked off East Hardy in the Hardy Bowl 25-24. So that propelled them in enough people's minds from seventh all the way to third in the power rankings. And they even got three first place votes for beating East Hardy. Those are probably the people that had East Hardy at number one. I had East Hardy at number one for a long time this year. I'll admit that. I did not vote for Moorefield at number one. I'll tell you my vote in a minute. I didn't even have Moorefield in my top five, though I had them close. Williamstown is at number four after their sixth straight win, a win over Tyler Consolidated. They did not move up, and then East Hardy moves down from two to five after the loss to Moorefield. But they got one first place vote still. Six through ten, and I mention this because we'll talk about a couple of these teams. Cameron at seven and oh, I think it's their schedule that's kept them out of a higher spot. They do not have the toughest schedule. They beat Clay Battelle last week. They beat 100. Their schedule could stand to be a little stiffer than it is right now. And I'm sure as that program continues to grow and develop, that's something that they'll work on there. But I think it's their schedule that's kept them out of the top five. Ritchie County is down from five to seven. Despite a win, they rolled over Webster County 61-0, but they're down, I think, because of the upset. And sometimes when there's upsets, people don't quite know how it all shakes out. And teams like Ritchie County get affected. But they also rolled over a winless team last week. They didn't impress people. James Monroe is at 8th, up from 10th. Gilmer County is at 9. That's down a spot. And Mount View comes in at number 10 this week. They weren't ranked last week. Clay Battelle fell out of the rankings after they were rolled by Cameron. 
My top five looks like this. I've got Doddridge County at number one because, frankly, I haven't had them there all year, and I'm now convinced that they are a better team than I thought they were at the beginning of the season. I thought they've lost some things to graduation. I didn't think there was enough left in the cupboard for them to be one of the top three teams, at least, but I've got them at number one. Williamstown, I have at number two because that is a very solid ball club, and I know that they might not be as impressive to me as Williamstown teams in past years, but one thing I do know about Williamstown is they consistently get better from week one to week 10. There's no doubt in my mind that Williamstown will come into the playoffs a better team, a much better team than they were at the beginning of the year. I saw a little bit of the Waterford game and I saw the second half of the St. Mary's game. Waterford, that was a slugfest, and they just lost a battle of attrition that night. And St. Mary's, they made mistakes to put St. Mary's back in the game, but Williamstown's a team that learns from those mistakes. So I've got Doddridge, Williamstown, and then Wheeling Central, I put them at third. Not because I necessarily think they're the third best team, because they're five and three, and I think to me it's more important to reward Doddridge and Williamstown for what they've done than to continue to crown Wheeling Central because they've played a tough schedule and because they've taken the lumps this season. I think they'll be a good team in playoff time, and I think they're going to do some damage wherever they fall in the Class A bracket. But to me, I think it's more important in a rankings poll and an opinion poll to reward teams that are doing well rather than to prop teams up that have played a tough schedule. I put East Hardy down to four, and they were my number one last week. I'll admit that right off the bat. I put them all the way down to four after that loss in the Mineral Bowl. And Wheeling Central moved from two in my last week's poll to number three. So I got Doddridge County, Williamstown, Wheeling Central, East Hardy, and then I did slide Cameron up to number five. I know they haven't played a tough schedule this year, but they're 7-0, and they've won all the games that they've had scheduled to play, and they've played well. Not for nothing, I think they need to be rewarded for that, and a 7-0 team ought to be in the top five of that poll. I got Moorefield at six, probably ought to have them higher, but I think the reaction went a little too far in the other direction to have them a third after that upset of East Hardy. Ritchie County, I had at 7th in Gilmer County, James Monroe on Mountain View. That's my top 10. That's my vote in the power rankings. So it's an interesting class. It's in flux. I think Doddridge County has shown they're a team that has the ability to go on a deep run. I would say Williamstown and Wheeling Central are definitely teams, if for no other reason, by reputation, they've got a chance to go on a deep run this year, and they've always got uh, opportunities to do that. You pick them until you prove otherwise, but I think Williamstown and Wheeling Central have a chance to be one of the top teams. I'm not sure that both Hardy County teams are going to be teams that make a run to the South semifinals or anything like that. I think of the two, East Hardy is probably the stronger one. We'll find out a little bit more when St. Mary's goes over and plays them next Friday. It's possible Moorfield's a very good team. I think I could see them winning a playoff game, maybe two. It wouldn't shock you if they won two. But I think more than anything, it seems like Moorfield might have found East Hardy on a bad night. Cameron, is it going to be the kind of Cameron team that rolled over some less than opponents? Or is it going to be the kind of team that stepped up and beat a good Trinity team and has a win against Madonna this year? They've played well when they play tough opponents. They just haven't played a lot of them. Ritchie County is a team that its defense is starting to give you cause for concern. They shut out Webster County this week, but they were expected to do that well. Webster County was 0-6. As we said last week, four of the six opponents they played, they allowed 20 points or more, and that's not really something that you say about a lot of top five teams. So, uh, again, that's my top five, and that's the Metro News top five out of that power rankings. Tara Malone has seen, I believe, all the teams in this top five, except maybe East Hardy and Moorfield. But he's seen a lot of the teams I've talked about today. And, Taryn, what are your thoughts? Well, Eric, first and foremost, who is in the top five this week? Coming in at number one, Dodgers County. They're 5-0 with seven first-place votes. Number two, Wheeling Central Catholic. They're 5-3 with seven first-place votes as well. Number three, Moorefield. They're 6-1, three first-place votes. At number four, the Williamstown Yellow Jackets at 6-1, two first-place votes. And then finally, at number five, East Hardy. They're 6-1 with one first-place vote.
I think everyone who votes in this poll has it absolutely correct. What was very interesting to me is that two Hardy County teams are now in the top five after last week's Hardy Bowl performance as Moorfield edged past East Hardy in a thriller 25-24. to However, I feel Ritchie County has a really good argument to be in there as well. They currently stand as number seven in the poll with a 6-1 and record after a 29-26 to double overtime loss to rival Doddridge County. If I had to place a top five of my own in the rankings this week, this is how it should go. Number one, Wheeling Central Catholic. Number two, Doddridge County. Number three, Moorfield. Number four, Williamstown. And number five, East Hardy. The only change I would make this week is to add Wheeling Central Catholic to the top of the list. Despite the Maroon Knights having a five and three record, I feel they are the team to beat in class single A right now. They should be six and two. They had a really big loss to Bel Air, Ohio. 14 to seven was the final score, but I feel like... The Maroon Knights are definitely the number one team in single A right now, despite their 5-3 record. Our local games of the week this week consist of a rivalry matchup in Kidwell as the 1-5 Magnolia Blue Eagles travel to the Cross County rival 4-3 Tyler Consolidated. Eric, the remainder of the games for the Silver Knights are must-wins if Coach Ryan Walton and his program wants to become playoff eligible in the next couple of weeks. Magnolia leads the all-time series 23-5, and the Blue Eagles won last year's contest 20 20- 22 to 14. Also, Eric, 6-1 Roan County traveling to 5-0 Doddridge County. This is a really good opportunity for the Bulldogs to get another quality win and receive bonus points as well to boost their chances to be in the number one seed in the class single-A playoff picture. And finally, we have a plethora of statewide games of the week this week. There is so many. In class AAA, 6-0 Bridgeport taking on 5-0 Princeton. In AAA yet again, 7-0 Jefferson at 8-0 Martinsburg. In single-A, 7-2 Beaver Local Ohio. Ohio at 5-3 Wayland Central Catholic, and finally 5-2 Greenbrier West at 5-2 Sherman. That was a breakdown of the Metro News Class A Power Rankings and a look at the games of the week. In Morgantown, I'm Taryn Malone, Metro News Sports. Eric, back to you. Thank you, Taryn. You know, it often seems like Class AA is the one where we see the most parity and we see the most happen in terms of upsets and surprises as we wind down the stretch, but I really think this year that might be Class A where the upsets and the surprises come, and it's all because there are about five or six teams we talked about this here, that all are jockeying for that top spot, and they all legitimately have a claim to stake as the top dog in Class A. Before we go, I want to talk about one thing for just a minute, and that's high school game night. If you weren't already aware, Metro News High School Game Night is a syndicated program that runs over several stations in the Mountain State, including Light Rock 93R, V96.9, and WVAM locally. For those of you that were listening to the show or watching the show online last week, you may know that I appeared in studio as an in-studio guest with Fred and Dave on high school game night. And I got to say, I was honored and privileged for the opportunity to do that. We talked about a card that I brought them. Uh, I did bring a card to commemorate their 20th anniversary. I had our entire crew sign a card, brought over some snacks. I'm friends with the video producer over there, Taylor Kennedy, a good young man. I know he's one of Taryn's co-workers at Metro News. Taryn works on that program some when he's not doing games, when he's not covering games and has worked on it in the past. And Taylor is another hardworking guy that they've got working there. Both of them are super talented, but I didn't bring food with the intent of getting on high school game night. But of course, they felt compelled since I was right there in town and right across Decker's Creek to go over and uh, sit in on the show. And I got to say, it was an honor and a privilege. High School Game Night is a 
show that means a lot to me, especially the older I get. It is 20 years old. I am in my 15th year of covering high school sports in West Virginia. I only heard about game night when I was in college, and it was in its infancy. A lot of times, I would be on Mountaineer Maniacs trips on Saturday, and people on the bus talking about the high school games from the night before. People that were from the state and were curious to know what was what and keeping up on who was good, and that's how you did it. You listened to Fred and Dave on the radio, and that's how I first found out there was such a thing as high school game night. And then when I got into covering it, the stations and the affiliates encouraged their personalities to call in and give reports on the games, and that's where you see the people that do that. I don't know that they give away a phone number on high school game night. I don't know that that number's given out, and I couldn't quote it now because it's just programmed on my phone as game night. But coaches call, media personalities call, and that's what makes up the show. It runs from 9.30 to midnight uh, every Friday on many Metro News affiliates, and it's been a long-time hallmark and a long-time tradition in this state, 20 years now. But why it means so much to me, every time I come on the show, there's just that sense of gravitas that comes with it. Fred and Dave have done this a long time, and they've been on radio a long time, and they bring such a big feeling of importance to the whole thing. They made me feel important now when I'm doing AAA games, but they made me feel important 15 years ago when I wasn't doing AAA games, and when I was doing games at a much smaller level, and I did not have the radio experience I have nowadays. I've been in this long enough to where I've mixed it up with Fred and Dave a few times, and I appreciate going on the show so much. I think it's easy to take for granted that we can call into the show and be on a statewide radio program talking about high school sports, but that's what it is. That's the the platform that they've created. As I said on the program the other night, and I'm a big advocate of this, I try to be in my everyday life. Young people get criticized for so many things in our society, sometimes justifiably so, but a lot of times not justifiably so. The actions or inactions of a few young people, for many, taint an entire generation. And I gotta say, the generation of young people we have right now are some of the most tremendous, resilient, hardworking young people I've ever been around and ever had the pleasure of covering. And all they've been through in the last few years, especially, uh, shows me that they are a top quality individual. A lot of the people we cover are just top quality individuals. And Game Night gives us a platform to highlight their exploits, to showcase what they do, to talk about this, and talk about a game we all love in high school football, and basically just tell people, hey, this state has a lot of quality young people, and they're going to be the next generation of West Virginia, and they're going to do all right for themselves. That's what this show tells us, and, and really at its core gives us a chance to do. Plus, we laugh, we share, we come together, and we're a community. And I really learned what Game Night meant to me during the pandemic, and I don't want to get another sob story about the pandemic. I know the pandemic has had mental health detriments and impacts on all of us, and for many, physical health impacts. But I can't tell you how good it felt the first weekend of September, because the season got pushed back a week last year, that first weekend of September, to put on the radio after doing my game, and to sit back and listen to high school game night on the way home from that first game. There wasn't a whole lot from March 11th on last year that for me felt normal, other than getting up and going to my job every day in the morning. Sports went away for a long time. There are a lot of things in my personal life that went away. I haven't talked about this a lot, and it's not important to go into it, but I went through a breakup last fall. My mom had COVID last fall, and there were a couple days where it was touch and go as to whether or not my mom was even going to make it. She's doing fantastic, and, and we could not be more grateful for that. But that was the kind of peril that felt like was there every day in the world of 2020. There was very little normalcy, and there was very little that felt comfortable. And you click on the radio, and you listen to high school game night, and there's Fred and Dave talking about high school football. And even though the topics were weird, and the conversation was weird, because we were talking about maps, and we were talking about who could and who couldn't play, and stuff like that, at the essence, we were talking about football, and it was a familiar voice. It was a familiar presence. And at its essence, that's what radio does best. Radio is that familiar friend when you need that familiar friend. And for 20 years, Fred and Dave have been that familiar friend. They put up with me calling in and saying goofy stuff on the radio. 
you know, I sang on their show this year, and they put up with people doing this because they know this is the essence of the show. It's people calling in, and if we didn't call in, they wouldn't have a show. They would be reading scores, and Fred made that joke on Friday, but there have been nights where there's good news to share. There have been nights where there is terrible news and sometimes even tragic news to share, but we all shared that, and we all came together as one state of high school football fans at a high school football fellowship to share it all. This show has always been about the young people of the state and about how this state is a community, but that's never been more important than in the last few years. So in the last two seasons especially, that's exemplified that we all cover high school football in the state, but we're a community of people that comes together on Friday nights to contribute to high school game night. So I'm proud to call in every week. Not only am I proud to highlight the exploits of the young men that I cover, but I'm also proud to contribute to this institution. And I could not be happier for Fred and Dave and the whole Metro News crew of what they built there in that time. I sincerely hope they know what that means to me and to other people that call in. They provide that safe haven, that comfortable place, that landing spot on the radio dial. Kudos to them and uh, a big thank you to them, not only for having me on, but for 20 years and all that means. This show means a lot to me and I'm sure there are other people out there that would say very similar things. But thank you for having me on again. Congratulations on 20 years and here's hoping for another 20 more. It's a full house again on Seven Ranges Radio this week. Light Rock 93R has St. Mary's at home against South Harrison. V96.9 has Parkersburg South at home against Campbell Midland. WVAM, the True Oldies Channel, has PHS on the road at Riverside. And I want to mention this quickly. Voice of the Big Reds, John Chalfant, is not going to be working that game. He had some health issues over the weekend, so he's resting comfortably from that. And we'll have Randy Kinsolving calling that game with Dave Grandy over on the True Oldies Channel, WVAM. I want to wish John Chalfant the best as he gets better. But Randy Kinsolving Solving and Dave Grandy will do that game. PHS and Riverside on the road. And then on WXCR, we're back in action with Ritchie County as Ritchie County takes on the Wirt County Tigers on WXCR. That's a rematch of a playoff game between those two schools from a year ago. My games of the week. Didn't mention this earlier. Williamstown Yellow Jackets, they've won six straight and they're going to face a really, really tough test in Fort Fry, Ohio. Fort Fry recently lost for the first time in a couple seasons. They're now 8-1 and one after losing to a really good team out of the Cleveland area. Yet Williamstown gets them in the regular season finale and two weeks removed from a loss. Uh, this might put that six-game winning streak to the test. We'll see what Williamstown does against Fort Fry. Again, Ritchie County and Wart County, playoff rematch from a year ago. Ritchie County has bounced back a little bit since taking that loss earlier in the season at Doddridge County, but now they're getting into a tougher stretch of their schedule. Wart County is out for blood because they're fighting for their playoff lives. Gilmer County comes ahead and they're in and out of that Metro News top 10 and they're going to be a tough test and they throw the ball particularly well. Ritchie County has had trouble keeping teams off the scoreboard at times. River and Frontier is my other game of the week this week because that might decide a home game or even a playoff spot. Frontier comes in at 5-2, and two, River at 5-4. and four. Both those teams will badly be wanting that one. It's always a big rivalry between those two schools, and when there's playoff implications on the line, all bets are off. As we said earlier, Marietta and Warren come in at 3-6, and six, and I think that'll be a competitive game between two schools that had better aspirations for this year. Might not have as much on the line as we thought it would, but that should be a good football game too. Rate us and review us if you haven't already done so on Apple Podcasts. You can download new episodes every week on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. And as you said at the start of the show, if you haven't, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. We don't have a lot of feedback on there anymore, but if you write me a letter, if you have a question for me that I should answer on the show, I will be glad to tackle that in a future edition of the show. We are winding down. Next week is the first week of the Ohio playoffs. We'll preview what local teams are doing there. And uh, we got some really, really good games that'll help decide the playoff picture in West Virginia. A few weeks ago, I took a look at some of the best games remaining in the rest of the season 
season, and four of my list of seven uh, were on that weekend of October 29th. So I think we're going to see some great football next weekend, and we're looking forward to talk about that on the podcast next week. And some great football this week. And I want to thank you for joining us as we try to set that up for you as best we could. My name is Eric Little. Again, thank you for listening to the podcast this week. We appreciate your time, and until next week, enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.